Good morning, everybody. How's everybody feeling? Beautiful day out today. Be turning your Bibles, book of Acts, chapter two. You know, I have to tell you, sometimes as a minister, uh, one of the uh, interesting things—if you're not a minister, you don't understand this—but uh, you uh, you actually have to figure out what to preach on. <laughs> And sometimes uh, when you know you're going to be preaching, you, uh, you have a moment uh, where you're like, you know, whoa, uh, what am I going to preach on this week? And you got the whole Bible sitting there in front of you, you know, and uh, you wonder, what am I going to preach on? And uh, I started thinking about that earlier in the week as I knew that I'd be up uh, on uh, Sunday. And uh, I thought, you know, sometimes in life you need to go back to basic things. You need to go back to sort of fundamentals to make sure that, uh, hey, we're set, you know, uh, in in a good place, got foundation in a good place. And so today, the title is Simple Christianity. And I think you'll you'll recognize this passage of Scripture if you're familiar with the Bible at all. And uh, and it'll be, you'll think, oh, I've read this before, or I've uh, uh, spent a lot of time in Acts chapter 2. Some of us have. But uh, it describes the first church. Jesus, of course, dies on the cross, resurrects, and, uh, and says to His disciples, okay, I want you to go back in Jerusalem, some great things are going to happen, and then uh, you know, uh, you'll make disciples of all nations, you'll go from there. And let, let's pick it up in, uh, in verse 36, we're actually going to be focusing on 42 and following, but this is the end of, of Peter preaching to this great crowd of people that are located there in Jerusalem because of the Feast of the uh, Pentecost. And so they're there, and he's preaching to them, and uh, he's coming sort of in for a landing on his sermon. He says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And so when they hear him say, that, that, you know, Jesus is Lord in Christ and He's the Messiah, that they had been involved in a sense of crucifying Him, they were cut to the heart. What does it mean to be cut to the heart? Help me with that. Some of my teenagers down here, what does it mean to be cut to the heart? What is that? None of you have ever been cut to the heart? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be convicted. Okay, good. Um, give me more. Campus ministry. Sick to your stomach. Sick to your stomach. Okay. Yeah. Okay, um, give me another event in life that might be a cut to the heart moment. What's that? Okay, uh, an unexpected death of someone that you know. Yeah. When you find out you're really wrong about something yeah. you thought you were really right about. <laughs> okay, you thought you were really right about something and you were wrong. Yeah, yeah Chris. When somebody confronts you on your sin, 
Okay, we're not going to have a show of hands of how, how many of us have been caught in a lie. Uh, but but <laughs> that would be true. Uh, for all the drivers out there, uh, if you look into your rear view mirror and see behind you, you're like, oh, no. And you immediately look at the speed you know, of, of how fast you were going and you realize. This cut to the heart, it's something that we can have in other parts of our life, but they had it. It's that, that water to the face, that shock, that scary feeling of, wow, I thought I was one place and now I'm another. And so they say, what do we do? Peter replies, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And so he calls on them to make a decision. He says, hey, the world around us is corrupt. And you've got to do something. You've got to move. You've got to save yourself. Now, technically speaking, they can't save themselves, right? Because they, they can't forgive their own sins. But there's something they can do. What is it? Well, He just told them to repent and be baptized. To make a decision to change your life. Is what repent means. And to be baptized. And so it says in verse 41, those who accepted His message were baptized. <laughs> And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Wow. So there's, there's about 3,000 people that get baptized that day in Jerusalem. That's a pretty big day, right? Yeah. And it says they were added to their number. Now if you look back in, uh, in chapter 1 to verse 15, it says in those days Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. And so now they've got about 3,000 and 120. And so that's what it means that they were added to their number. It was added to that, that sort of small little group of the apostles and some of the followers that were there. About 120 and about 3,000 people are baptized. Now let's dig in and let's see what this simple Christianity looks like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this is the description of the first church. It's a description of what they did, how they lived, what they thought about, decisions that they made. And I've entitled this Simple Christianity. This is, just, this is not complicated. It is brand new in all their lives. And it's what went on. Now I've divided this, this into three different sort of points or three different angles to look at this passage from 42 to 47 of this simple Christianity. And simple Christianity, even today, is this. And for some of us, this needs to be a good reminder for us, hey, I just need to be a a simple Christian. I, I, I don't need to complicate everything. Let's just make this simple, right? Number one, what you do. And we're going to look at what you do in simple Christianity. What they did. 
Number two, what we do. Because there's, there's a big part of this is not just what individuals were doing, but what they were all doing together, right? So you got what you do, what we do, and then what God does. Or if you want to keep it uh, consistent there and uh, not very good English, what you do, what we do, and what God do. And so simple Christianity really can be knocked down to that. What you do, what we do, and what God does. And in, in this, this text, this 42 through 47, it talks about those three things. Let's go to number one. What you do. In other words, simple Christianity, what is your responsibility? What is the individual's responsibility? Well, it says it in verse 42. They devoted themselves. Interesting. No one's making them do this. Remember last week the sermon that I preached that Christianity is a volunteer religion? Yep. No one makes someone become a Christian. Someone doesn't become a Christian because they're born into a Christian family. Right. You're not a Christian because everybody you know is a Christian. You're a Christian if you decide to be a Christian. It's a volunteer religion. It's a, it's a religion based upon a decision that a grown-up person makes about your life. You know, someone may say, well, I, I feel like I've been a Christian all my life. I went to church. My mom and dad went to church. They drug me along even when I didn't want to go. Well, that all may be true. You may have been raised in a Christian family. But if you've not made that decision yourself, you were raised in a Christian influence and a Christian family, but that doesn't make you a Christian. Christianity is something that you decide for you. Parents can't decide it for their children. Children can't decide it for their parents. Friends can't decide it for their friends. Husbands can't decide it for their wives or wives for their husbands. Christianity is an individual decision. It's what you do. They devoted who? Themselves. It's what you decide. It's what you will. It's what you want. That's a, that's a crucial part to understand about Christianity. It's a basic, basic, basic of all basics. It's your decision. You made this decision. To live this life. You decided you wanted to be a follower of Christ. So they devoted themselves to these four things. The apostles teaching. Number one. The fellowship. Number two. The breaking of bread. And prayer. If there ever were four things that were crucial to a person doing well spiritually. It's those things. Let's talk about them. The apostles teaching in our context today would be the Bible. The New Testament. That's the... The, the, the apostles' teachings is the New Testament. And, and going further back, of course, the Old Testament, it all fits together. But you would say the Bible. What you do individually, your decision related to the Bible. It is my conviction that if someone's going to be a very good Christian, they have got to have an individual time in their schedule and in their life to read the Bible by themselves. Amen. Yep. Someone else may be in the room. You may be with other people, but you're reading the Bible, you and you. I think that should be done on a daily basis in a child of God's life. 
Now you say, well, what if I miss a day? (laughs) Well, you miss a day. Life goes on. I don't think that that really in the big scheme of things is that big of a deal. But you know, if day becomes week and if week becomes month and if month becomes several months, then you know, you'd have to wonder, you know, really, how committed are you to the uh, apostles' teachings, to, to the scriptures, if you don't ever have a time in your life where you're reading by yourself? Right. It needs to be your conviction that you do that. I like to read the Bible. Now, I know some people that don't like to read. Reading's just not a big deal for them. And uh, I, I knew of uh, one of the ladies in the church here that doesn't like to read it, so she got the Bible on cassette. And, uh, and so she listens to the Bible. Oh, shut up. No one has an 8-track anymore, right? Or a cassette. Okay. It's recorded for you somehow. Whatever. Get off my back. But if, if you're really serious about being a Christian, you've got to work that into your schedule. You've got to figure that out. You've got to realize that's an important part of being a child of God. It's simple Christianity. You work it into your life. You make it part of your life. Number two, it says the apostles' teaching and the fellowship... The fellowship is what is described as they go on down through there. And we're going to talk about that really in point number two a lot. Is the relationships that they have with each other. Okay. Yeah. But as an individual, you have to understand, it is my individual responsibility to be committed to the fellowship. To devote yourself to the fellowship. Relationships are important. You know, sometimes people say, well, Christianity, my, 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 my life with God is between me and God. It is. But it's not just about you and God. Yes, it is you and God. But it is also the other people around you. Jesus said, by this all men will know you're my disciples. By what? By your love for one another. Simple Christianity is understanding this is not just you and God. It's me and the other people around me as well. Right. Now that's where Christianity sometimes can get tricky. Because sometimes the people around us are annoying. <laughs> sometimes the people around us are disappointing. Sometimes the people around us are just sinful. And see, we have to deal with them. The person of humility understands, I am annoying. I am disappointing. I am sinful. And we'll talk more about that in point number two. But a commitment to the, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Now, I believe in this context, that's talking about communion. A little later in the passage, it says that they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and their hearts. I believe that's talking about sharing meals together in each other's homes. So we have two different sort of uh, uh, same terminology, maybe describing uh, a little bit of a different kind of a thing. But you've got the, the, the apostles teaching, uh, commitment to the fellowship, commitment to communion, an individual time of communion. But isn't it interesting that Jesus had the, the, uh, the Last Supper with other people? See, I think 
When we really come to a good understanding of how do you take communion, you understand that taking communion is something that you do between you and the Lord, but it's also something that you do with all the other disciples that are with you. And it's something that we are sharing together. Not just you are doing, but that we are sharing. And this saying, prayer. They were devoted to prayer. Now, understand, we're talking about the individual here. Point number one. This means a time where you pray. It's just you and God. Now, my, my good friend Rob, he takes his dog, Bob, with him. Rob and Bob go on their morning prayer walk. So I guess Rob is sharing Bob uh, with his individual relationship with God. <laughs> you know, he's close to the Lord. He may draw you closer to God. I, I don't know. We're hoping. We pray for Bob. Uh, but Bob loves the prayer, uh, the prayer, the prayer walk. They go on. And uh, you ask, ask, ask Rob sometime what Bob does every morning at 5 o'clock in the morning. And uh, he basically gets, gets Rob up. It's time to go pray, Dad. Come on. And, uh, and they go out on their walk. But these are things that you do individually. You're devoted to them. Now think about this in your own mind. This is simple Christianity. You read your Bible. You have spiritual friendships. You have a connection with God uh, uh, and with Jesus through communion. And you pray. You speak to God. Whether it's out loud, verbal, or inside your heart. You are communicating. You are speaking your mind and your thoughts to God. That's simple Christianity, guys. Amen. Don't complicate it with everything else that might be out there. If you get those four pillars going, you're on a good path. Yeah. Right. And your Christian life's going to be going in a good direction. If any one of those is not healthy in your life, it is going to be a problem in your spiritual life. Yeah. Right. You may be better at one of them than the other. You may say, man, I enjoy praying so much more than reading the Bible. Fine. I enjoy reading the Bible more than I do praying. I don't think it's a matter of they have to be equal value in our life, but I don't think we can say, well, I never pray. And be a Christian. I don't think you say, I never read my Bible. And be a faithful Christian. These are things that have to be going on in a person's inner life. The inner person. Uh, and, and there are times, you know, even Jesus, when He's going to go to the cross, it says that He, he, he drew His disciples to Him. Uh, Peter, James, and John were with Him. They, they went further away than, than the other uh, guys that were sort of back here. It was, it was the guys here. And then uh, Peter, James, and John, He takes them a little further away. And then He says, the Bible says that He went further by Himself and prayed. Simple Christianity is sometimes where it's just you. And you're the child of God that's developing and enjoying and working out your relationship with God. Okay, now, what do we do? Number two, number two, what do we do? There's a lot of what we do in this passage. 
Look, look at everything. It says in verse, uh, in verse 43, everyone was filled with awe. Everyone means the group, right? Yeah. They were filled with awe. Wow. What is that feeling? What does it mean to be filled with awe? Can you think of another example of that? Being amazed. Being amazed at something. A lot of you aren't old enough for this, but I am. Remember, that, uh, if you've uh, been keeping up with any uh, news the last couple of days, that this is the fifth, 50th anniversary of Apollo 11 uh, landing on the moon. Yeah. <laughs> let's, just, let's just have a show of hands. How many remember that? Okay, well, yeah, that's a pretty good, pretty good number. I remember that. And I remember uh, I was uh, a young guy uh, at that time. I don't remember exactly how I'd have been. I guess I'd have been somewhere around uh, about 13, 12 or 13 or something like that. Um, but I remember going outside, and I think everybody did this. You, you went outside, you looked up at the moon. Like, I can't believe that this is going on on television, and that's actually going on up there. Yep. And, and it was an amazing feeling, if, if you can remember, this sort of a feeling of awe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Man, I, I can't believe... And now, when you actually know, uh, you know, the, the level of computer uh, skill that they had and, and realizing that your phone probably, uh, you know, can do about 25 times more than all the computers they had uh, aboard, you know, that spacecraft uh, to get there and to get back, it's pretty amazing. It's just a feeling of awe of, Wow, this is incredible. So there was that feeling in the church, in this young church. Everyone was like, wow, this is incredible. I'm really excited about what's going on around me. So everyone's filled with awe. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They had everything in common. They shared. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. They took care of each other. Every day they continue to meet together in temple courts. And so they're, they're going to the temple. They're hanging around the temple. They know who each other are. They're filled with awe. They're going to go back to each other's house and have lunch later on. They're hanging around with each other. They broke bread in their homes. That's what I talked about earlier. And ate together with glad and sincere hearts. All this is the we. All this is what's going on uh, that they did together. The sense of awe, the sharing of their things, uh, their money, their homes, their meals. Uh, they meet at the temple. They had relationships with each other. Big time. Now I want you to think for a minute, some of you guys are pretty good Bible students, but let's think about this. In the Bible, at a number of different places, it talks about the one another responsibilities uh, and uh, uh, sort of pleasures uh, that uh, Christians can have with each other. The one another verses. Okay, is your mind thinking this through? You guys thinking of something? Because I've got some written down here, but I want, I want to see what you can come up with. The one another passages. Who's got one? Yes, sir. Matthew 18, verse 19 and 20. Okay, what's it say? I don't have that memorized. The first one's about like when two when two or more agree on something, it'll be done. And then and then twenty is when we're gathered together, God is with us. Okay. Okay. Good. 
I'm actually, that, that, that's good, but I'm looking for the one another passages where it actually says one another. Rob? John 13, 34. We already said that. Yep. Love one another. Yep. So love one another. Yeah. Okay, spur one another on. Another one another passage. Yeah. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Offer hospitality. The one that fits in Acts two, doesn't it? Uh, offering hospitality. Uh, yeah. Be devoted to one another. Yeah. Colossians three thirteen. Bear with each other and forgive one another. Bear with each other. Okay. Yeah. Don't be a bear with each other. Bear with each other. Yeah, Chris. Accept one another. Another way. To, what's another way to say accept one another? Put up with, Put up with each other. Uh, <laughs> Romans uh, sixteen says, "Greet one another with a kiss of love." <laughs> you want to practice that this morning? <laughs> yeah, Lynn. Encourage one another. You know, and you guys got most of them that I had. Instruct one another. Agree with one another. Uh, live in harmony with one another. I love living in harmony with each other because, you know, harmony does not... You know, you guys that are music people. Uh, John, you're a big music guy. Explain harmony. It's notes that actually blend together that are part of the chord or the scale or the harmonic structure of the musical piece. And they're not the same, are they? No. Harmony is those who aren't the same that learn to come together and complement each other. That's harmony. Yeah, sometimes people say, oh, you know, Christians are all alike. (laughs) You evidently don't know many. Christians aren't anywhere near alike. Nor should they be. We should have... He, Jesus said, go into all the world. We should have all kinds of people in God's church. All races. All uh, ethnicities. All languages. Coming on in and learning how to live in harmony with each other. Right? right? All these are the one another uh, passages in the Scriptures. It is crucial if, if you're going to understand simple Christianity. Simple Christianity involves dealing with people. Yes. You got to deal with people. Some of us, I would say to you, even maybe in humility, look at yourself in the mirror. Are, are you working on your personal people skills? Okay. You say, well, I just, you know, I, I just, I'm not a real social person. It's my experience that a person is a Christian for any great length of time, they become a social person. Because they begin to apply these passages to their life. I need to love people. I need to accept people. I need to put up with people. Uh, You know? And we become better socially. Chris knew me. None of you did. Chris knew me relatively young as as a Christian. And I gotta tell you, my social skills needed some work. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's way too much agreement right there. 
But you know, that's not, ter- that's not terribly unusual. Many of us, when we became Christians, our social skills weren't that good. And, and many of us, our social skills were only one way. In other words, we, we had a certain group of people or a type of person that we had social skills with and other people none. In other words, well, I'm an athlete. I like athletes. If you're not an athlete, well, you know, I don't need you. That was sort of our attitude. That's how we felt about it. Well, you're not from my racial group. You didn't go to school where I went to school. You know, I feel comfortable with these people. Christianity is learning how to get comfortable with everybody. Understanding sometimes you have to put up with them. (laughs) And sometimes that's okay. Because in humility, you know what's going on. Someone's putting up with you. And that is the great equalizer. You realize, well, yeah, I'm not a piece of cake either sometimes. But see, this, 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 what, do, what do you do is an important part of simple Christianity. What we do is an important part of, of, of this simple Christianity. And then the last point here, guys, is really a good one. What does God do? Yeah. Well, what's the last thing it says here? And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. God is moving in this group. And He's working in this group. Look a little further on the book of Acts to Acts 11. Acts 11 and verse uh, uh, 19. We find a, sort of a similar passage of Scripture about the church that develops in Antioch. And we're not going to get into all the history there of what's going on. But it says in verse 19, Acts 11 verse 19, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, then from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also. So these guys did sort of a radical thing. They went and started sharing Christianity with the Greeks. Oh my, how can you do that, man? Greeks! You're going to share Christianity with the Greeks? They did that. Telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Now, we look back on that and say, well, what's the thing about Greeks? Okay. Well, that was a big deal to these people. Reaching out to Greek people. They didn't like Greek people all that much. It wasn't historically a good idea to do that. So they break through a, a, a barrier here. And they start sharing with these Greeks. And uh, it says, uh, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Now look at this. The Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. You see, this third point is really an, an, an important thing to understand. God is working when His people understand their, their responsibilities, their individual responsibilities. When they understand their responsibilities together with each other, He is working and things start happening. Good things start happening. Things that they didn't even really have the power to bring about, God has the power to bring about. They're out sharing their faith and God is working in a powerful way to bring about great success. I would say when 3,000 people are baptized the first day, God was working. What do you think? I mean, you really think Peter was that good? I don't. I don't think Peter was that good. I think God was working in a powerful way that day and 3,000 people were baptized. I think God is working here in Acts 19 because they're sharing, they're going over a cultural divide there that people wouldn't do. 
But the Lord's hand was with them, and there's a great number of people here that, that uh, uh, respond to the Lord's message and, and get baptized as well. What does God do? When God's people behave the way they're supposed to, He works powerfully behind the scenes. And great things start to happen that really are empowered not by the people, but by God working behind the scenes to move in the lives and the hearts of people around them. It's not their power, it's God's power that makes it happen. Right. I want to show you one passage in the book of Proverbs. Look over to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7. This is an Old Testament proverb, meaning a statement of wisdom that says this exact same thing in a different way. Proverbs 16, 7. And this is a good one. It says, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. (laughs) God's working behind the scenes. Even people who naturally wouldn't like you all of a sudden like you. Why? Because you're living the kind of life that God is happy with and His power is moving behind the scenes to get the good things happening and the right things happening in life. Now this is simple Christianity, guys. It doesn't get any more simple than Acts 2. What do you do? What do we do? What does God do? doesn't get any more simple than that. Christianity can get a lot more complicated. And there's a lot of deeper parts of the pool that we could dive into. But you know, sometimes you have to come back to the the simple things. Sometimes you have to come back to fundamental, foundational things in our life. What do I need to be doing? What do we need to be doing? And what is God going to be doing because we're moving in that way? I hope our study today has been a good one for you. Really sort of foundational. And for some of you, you say, wow, this is a big reminder of things. And I've gone through this passage before. That's okay. Sometimes it's good to go back to the simple, basic things and remind ourselves of them. But uh, let's let what, uh, what we studied today and what we looked at in God's Word today help us, guide us, and change us. God bless and have a great week.